This chapter 46 is, uh, is where we'll begin our reading. We'll read verse number 1 down through verse number 7, and then we'll preach the message that the Lord has laid on our heart. The Bible says, in Israel, of course, Israel being another name for Jacob, Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods which they had gotten in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. And today I'd like to preach to you a message that I've entitled Life-Altering or life-transforming decisions, life-altering decisions. I heard recently of a husband and wife that prior to marriage decided that as they went into their marriage, that as they lived together, he would make all of the major decisions and she would make all of the minor decisions. And after 20 years of marriage, someone asked him how this arrangement had worked. And he said, it's been great. He said, in all these years, I've not had to make a single major decision yet. <laughs> I don't know how true that is, but it is certainly humorous. Periodically, I'm asked about, about how you can know that you're doing the right thing as it relates to life-altering decisions. You know, there are, some, there are some choices and decisions that you and I will be confronted with that will fundamentally transform our lives, and our future. You know, we make lots of just mundane, minor decisions on a regular basis, you know, where you're going to go after church, if you're going to go out to lunch today, or maybe what you wore to church today, or maybe, maybe you decided, hey, we normally take this car to church, but we're going to drive this car instead, or maybe we normally go this route, but we're going to go a different route instead. And we would look at all of those decisions and say, really not that big of a deal. Those are just minor, mundane type of decisions that are made. But, but then, there are, then there are other decisions that are major. They're life-altering, potentially. They are life-transforming. And then to add some weight to all of this, it seems that often these decisions, they don't just impact us, but they also dramatically impact our children, our grandchildren, and even generations that you and I will never know or never meet. As I was putting these thoughts down on paper, I was, I was thinking about this, uh, this idea and how to illustrate this. And I know many of you have, are familiar with, the, with my story and, and perhaps maybe the story of my family. But I was recently asked by an individual uh, who, who knew that there was sort of a long-standing connection. They, they asked about the history of our church and as it relates to the Folger family. I was blessed, just briefly, we didn't spend a lot of time together, but I was blessed to be able to recount 
our story, which includes, now think about this, includes a man I never met. We share, we share a last name. And that man made a decision that was pretty dramatic that, that was made 65 years ago that still impacts my life and my children's lives today. His decision has impacted, at this point in time, it's impacted four generations. Four generations so far and likely will impact many more generations to come. In Genesis 45, Jacob learned that the son who was dead was actually alive and that he was thriving in a time when few people were thriving due to, due to the grievous famine in the land. Joseph, Jacob's son, looked to, looked to have, wanted to have his family near to him so that he could spend time with them, time that had been stolen from him when he had been sold, sold by his brothers into slavery. He, he wanted them near to him so that he could look after after their needs. There, as he told them, there are still five years of famine left and, and their survival would have, uh, would have been in peril without his care. The Bible says in Genesis 45, verses six and seven, for these two years, Joseph is speaking, these two years hath the famine been in the land and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph's position and his responsibilities prevented him from being able to move himself to Canaan. That wasn't practical. That wasn't possible. And so if he was going to be near his family, if they were going to be near to him, then they were going to have to, they were going to have to leave Canaan and they were going to have to move south to Egypt. This would require Jacob and his children and his grandchildren making the move to this land of Egypt. But there was a problem. There was a significant problem. Previously, God had told, had told Jacob's father and grandfather that the land of Canaan was the place of God's promised blessing. It was the place that God had promised to give to his people. Abraham's sojourn, and surely Jacob knew this history, Abraham's sojourn into Egypt in Genesis chapter number 12 had been full of peril and problems and it was a clear violation of God's revealed will so certainly Jacob knows this story and now 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 he's being invited to move from Canaan down to Egypt and to spend the rest of his life there and you 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 must know that certainly in the back of his mind he's thinking I don't know about that you know my grandfather made made that move and and it didn't work out very well for him that, that actually ended up being a real disaster. Is this really what we're supposed to do as a family? The text reveals that Jacob was, was, was going to Egypt, but he was going there with a spirit of fear and apprehension, some level of anxiety, not, not wanting to remove himself or his family from the place where they enjoyed God's favor and God's blessing. You see there in verse number three, God came to Jacob and he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt. Well, well, why would he say that if Jacob wasn't experiencing some level of fear as it relates to this particular decision? Canaan had been home to Jacob for many years. His father and grandfather were buried there 
And it was the place where God revealed to Abraham that he would eventually give it to his seed for a possession. Jacob did not take this move down to Egypt lightly or nonchalantly. He sought certainty and he sought the Lord's direction as he was faced with this life-altering decision. You know, today, today we also are faced, not every day, but there are days, there are seasons, there are moments in our life when we are faced with life altering decisions. These decisions could be a marriage partner. Who am I going to marry? Am I going to marry this person? Do I want to spend the rest of my life with this person? More importantly, does God want me to spend the rest of my life with this person? Could be the decision of when to begin a family. We're married and and, uh, and now we feel like the time is right to, to begin to have children. It could be a significant purchase uh, that might lead to some level of debt. It could be a, a home. It could be a, a vehicle. It could be a college education. And, and, uh, and we're, we're weighing the pros and the cons. And we're thinking, understanding, listen, by signing my name on this dotted line, by putting my name to this, uh, this is going to fundamentally alter or transform my life, if not for the rest of my life, at least for a significant portion of my life. It could be a career change. It could be a relocation. Uh, we're, 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 we're being asked by our company, by our business, or maybe by our family to, to leave where we are, where, where we're settled, and we're being asked to move to a, another state, another location. It could be something like that. It, it might even be selecting a new church family. We're praying about you know, what the Lord has for us in this area or in that area. And I just have to tell you, those are, those are, those are the life-threatening decisions. It could, be, um, it could be what type of treatment we're going to receive for a sickness or disease. You know, the doctor says you have this. And here are some options. And, you know, here's what we recommend, but ultimately the choice is yours. It might even be a, it might even be a surgery that the doctor is recommending that you uh, undergo and you're trying to decide, is this, is this the right decision for me? Is this the thing that makes the most sense? You know, perhaps there are some, maybe even others, that, uh, that I have missed, that I've not even mentioned, but in your mind, you'd say, man, that's a life-altering decision. I've been faced with that before, and I really wasn't exactly sure which way to go. Hey, I have good news for you. I have good news for you. You don't have to make that decision by yourself. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter number three, verses five and six, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Isn't that comforting and encouraging? To know that I don't have to make that decision by myself. That if I'll acknowledge him in all of my ways, if I'll trust in him, he will lead me, he will guide me, he will be very careful to direct my past. Proverbs 16, 9 says this, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Isaiah 48, 17 says this, thus, thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Aren't you thankful for the Lord's direction and for the Lord's leading? The Bible says in James 1 and verse number 5, if any of you lack wisdom, that's sort of rhetorical, right? Because <laughs> we all lack wisdom. We all, we all sometimes wonder which way we ought to go. If any of you lack wisdom, lack wisdom let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, 
and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes we have a decision in front of us, and, and we'll ask everybody we know, but sometimes, sometimes we won't ask God. We won't give it to the Lord. We won't ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? What decision do you suppose I ought to make? Clearly God is capable, as we consider these texts, of leading and guiding and directing our paths throughout this life. But how does he do this? How does this happen? How do we know for sure that, 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 this is, that this is God's decision for me, that this is God's will for me? You know, with the stakes being extraordinarily high, how can I be certain, how can I be sure that the life-altering decision that I am being asked to make is the right one? I believe Jacob's actions here and, and, and God's dealing and response to Jacob reveals some key truths to help us unlock the appropriate doors so that we, as we travel along life's way, we can take our children and future children and generations with us, and we can continue to thrive in God's will, God's favor, and God's blessing. So what are the steps that are laid out for us as Jacob here contemplates in his latter days, picking up everything that he's ever known and everything that he's ever had and moving from one country to another, leaving the place where he knows for sure this is where God has planted me. He must, he must not be going down to Egypt unless he knows for sure this is what God has for me. Let me share several things with you. Number one, as you consider the idea of making life-altering decisions, can I remind you, number one, to frequently visit the places where God is known to clearly communicate. As you're thinking about doing something that is pretty, is, is pretty bold and, and, and is pretty life-transforming and life-altering, don't, don't do it without frequently visiting the places where God is known to clearly communicate. In verses 1 and 2, the Bible says that Jacob, Jacob uh, he came to a place called Beersheba. We touched on this briefly last Sunday morning for those of you that were here. But I want you to know that this stop at Beersheba, it might seem, it might seem like it's a convenient place to rest on the way to Egypt. In other words, if I were to, if I were to have to drive to Cincinnati, uh, you know, the halfway point in some respects would probably be Columbus. And so we might say, well, yeah, that's a natural place to stop and maybe to get some gas or perhaps to, to use the washroom or, or, or perhaps maybe to buy a, 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 a beverage or uh, some snack or maybe even to have a meal. You're not really probably going to go to Cincinnati unless you drive through Columbus. And so we might read this and on the surface we might say, well, yeah, you're not going to go to Egypt unless you go through Beersheba. But I want you to understand something. This is much more than just a convenient place for him to stop. There, there's, something, there's something about Beersheba. There's some things that have happened in Beersheba in time past in which Jacob is, Jacob is coming to this place and he has a heart and he has a spirit of expectation and he is essentially saying, here's what he's saying. He's saying, God, you've spoken to my grandfather in this very place. You've spoken to my father in this very place and I'm making a life-altering, life-transforming decision and I'm gonna make sure that I spend some time at Beersheba. It just might be that you speak to me there too. I really believe that that's what's at stake here. I believe that's why he stopped at Beersheba and not some other town along the way because it was a place, it was a place where God was known to communicate. Now can I say that God no longer communicates just in just a geographic location? 
In other words, we, we can't say, well, I gotta, I gotta get to Columbus because that's where God speaks. No, 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 God, God, God speaks in, in Cleveland too. And God can speak in your house and God can speak to your heart and he can speak to my heart. This was a different time. They did not have the word of God available to them like we have it today. They did not have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling them like you and I have indwelling us today. But understand this, while God does not confine himself to speaking in just a geographic location, I do want you to know, I I believe that God in the New Testament Christian age, that God has provided some places that we can visit, some places that we can go to when contemplating life-altering decisions and we can expect in those places that he will certainly speak to us. I, um, I, I put a list together of three places for sure that I believe God speaks. Three places that I believe God is known to communicate and these are not unfamiliar to you. Number one, most, most obviously, you can expect God to communicate to you through his word. It's not a geographic location, but listen, every time, every time you open up that blessed book that sits in your lap, God has an opportunity to communicate to you. God has an opportunity to speak to you. That's what he does. He uses his word. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, these are his words. They're not my words. They're not the words of an ordinary man. No, these are the words of God. And I would just tell you, one would be very wise to frequently visit the Word of God. I would even say to live in the Word of God as they contemplate life-altering choices. In other words, as you're thinking about who it is you're going to marry, that's not a time to spend less time in God's Word. That's time to spend more time in God's Word. As you're thinking about you know, a career change or a relocation or, or, or a surgical procedure or perhaps some type of a treatment, or you're, you're contemplating what is the Lord doing here and what is the Lord doing there, that's not a time to spend less time. That's a time to be reading God's word even more. Number two, I would say, not only does God communicate, he's known to communicate through his word, but I believe God is known to communicate in the prayer closet. In the prayer closet. You know, it doesn't have to be, by the way, it doesn't have to be a literal closet, but you should seek out a place where you can get alone with the Lord. And by the way, did you know that prayer does not have to be a one-sided conversation? In our minds, we think, well, prayer is me talking to God. But can I just tell you, I have discovered that God often communicates with me during seasons of prayer. When I've gone to him in prayer, listen, this is not, this is not kooky or weird, I know sometimes people get that idea, you know, God speaks to you. No, not in an audible way. You know, not in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a visible way. I've never heard the actual voice of God. But I just have to tell you, God has spoken to me in an, in an inaudible way as I've spent time with the Lord in prayer. Sometimes, as a pastor of this church, God, God will speak to me just very silently, almost like an idea enters my mind as I'm spending time with the Lord in prayer. And he'll, he'll say something like this, do this. And we do it and it works. You know, I, 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 try, I try lots of things that don't work. <laughs> but you know what? Every time I've ever done something the Lord's told me to do, it's always worked. Isn't that amazing? I, I probably ought to do that a little bit more often, right? Or maybe, maybe the Lord will, I'll be, I'll be praying, I'll be spending time with the Lord, and the Lord will just, there'll be, a, there'll be a, a person that just pops into my mind or a name that will pop into my mind. And it's like, I haven't thought about that person in a long time. And the Lord's just saying, you know, reach out to them. Pray for them. 
uh, call them, text them, uh, visit them. You know, you know what that is? That's the Lord. He's, he's communicating. I have, no, I have no doubt about that whatsoever. The Bible says in Matthew 6 and verse number 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Don't you suppose that might apply to life-altering, life-transforming decisions? Get into that closet. Get, get into that place that, 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 that you can get alone with God and you can shut the world out and you can turn off all of the noise and all of the sound and get away from everybody else and just meet with God and understand it's in those moments. Listen, it's in those moments God is known to clearly communicate. I believe that with all of my heart. So as you're facing, some of you are maybe, you're facing a life-altering decision. That's not the time to pray less. That's the time to pray more. That might, not even, that might not even be the time for you to go into a time of prayer and just start talking. That might be the time for you to settle on your knees and to humble your heart and to confess your sin to the Lord and repent of some things. And it might be a time for you just to be silent for a little bit and wait for him to speak to you. Prayer closet. Can I say, there's a third place that I believe God is known to communicate and that is his own house. The house of God. You know, the preacher who stands to preach ought never, the preacher ought never to waste the time of his listeners by sharing his own personal thoughts and opinions. You have not, you have not come here today to hear me talk about the things that I like or the things that I want. Nobody cares about those things. No, listen, we've gathered here today with the expectation that this book is going to be open and that it is going to be preached. That's what this is all about. That's why we're here. Well, we've, we've not come here to, to hear the thoughts and the opinions of man. No, we've come to hear to hear the word of God preached and proclaimed. The preacher is called to proclaim what the Lord has said. What thus saith the Lord, it is not, listen, therefore it is not uncommon for God to speak to the heart of his people in the church house through the preaching of God's word. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 15, but if I tarry long that thou knowest, may that mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 2, preach the word, preach the word, not your opinions, not your philosophies, not your ideas, not your preferences. No, preach God's word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. I'm just here to tell you, listen, if you'll find yourself a preacher who will preach God's word and you'll tend a church that lifts up the word of God and teaches and preaches the word of God, when you come, you can expect you're going to hear from God. He's going to communicate to you. It's how he works. So can I say that when contemplating a life-altering decision, visit frequently the places you know God speaks. The Word of God, prayer closet, the house of God. Oh, there may be some other places that I'm not even thinking of. I, I think to myself, you know, when you're, when you're making face with a life-altering decision, I think, that'd be, I think that'd be a good time to turn off the news radio and turn off the music unless it's godly music and music that'll usher you into the presence of the Lord, and I think that may be time to listen to some scripture as you're driving down the road. Might even be time, might, this, is, this is gonna be out there for some of you, might even be time to listen to some preaching. You say, I come on Sunday morning and Sunday night, you want me to listen to more? Might help you just a little bit. I can't tell you the times in which I've been driving and 
I've turned on a message and it's stirred my heart as I'm driving down the interstate. God has helped me. God has spoken to me. You know, we live in such an incredible day and age. There's something out there today known as podcasts, and, and, uh, and, and there, are some, there are some religious, spiritual podcasts that are just such a help as the word of God is taught and it's communicated and it's talked about. And I'm just simply saying, listen, we have no excuses. We have no excuses. There are plenty of places that you and I can visit frequently in which we know God speaks. So I would say you're faced with a life-altering decision, number one, Frequently visit the places God has known to clearly communicate. Number two, let me say this. Number two, allow God to shape your thinking about the matter at hand. So often we form an opinion, don't we? And, and we just, you know, we just come to this, okay, this is what I think is best, and we form an opinion. As you read this text, what was, what was Jacob's opinion? Jacob was going to Egypt, but he wasn't exactly sure that it was the right thing to do. Do you, do you sort of gather that? He's going because that's where, his, that's where his son is. The wagons have been sent for him. The brothers are all excited. They're all on board. But, I mean, Jacob is probably wise to say, you know, I'm not exactly sure I want to take these guys' word on this thing, you know. And these guys throughout their life and throughout their, their history have not always made the right decision. And so Jacob is going, but he's sort, of, he's sort of going, you know, in an apprehensive sort of way until, until God speaks. And that's the way it ought to be. That, that's the way that it ought to be. Too many times, too many times, we form, we form, we shape our own opinion on things and nothing, listen, nothing is gonna change our mind. And that could be pro or it could be con. That could be for, it could be against. You know, you, you, know, you know there's people who, who got into a, a point in life, you know this, some, maybe even someone here today, who, who have said, you know what? This is where I live, this is where I'll die, bless God, nobody's moving me. Some of you are chuckling because you know somebody like that. Some of you, you may be sitting next to somebody like that. Now, don't elbow them, all right? Just let them, just let them sit in anonymity, all right? But, but, but you, you know what I'm saying, right? There are certain people that are just, you know, I'm not moving. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter what happens. I'm not moving. And then, there's, then there are some people, and they're always looking to move somewhere. You know, they're always looking to go to the next place. They're never satisfied. They're never, you know, fully, you know, fully bought in and fully engaged. They're always looking for that next adventure. And when that potential next adventure comes up, that, that next life-altering decision, I don't care what it is. If it's going to change and transform where I am today, for bad or good, I'm going that way. And they just make up their mind, and they never even, you know, and, here's, and then here's what they'll do. They'll, they'll come to somebody, they'll try to seek, seek counsel, but you know as well as I do, they've already made up their mind. What do you think I ought to do? And they pr- present it in such a way where it's like, well, it doesn't matter what I think you ought to do because you're already decided which way you're going to go. Here, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying this, listen, let God, let God shape your thinking about whatever it is that you're deciding. Allow God to speak into that. Jacob is going, but listen, listen, it seems like, it seems like you know, the, the trip to Egypt kicked up a, a gear. There was more confidence. There was more certainty after God visited Jacob in the place where God was known to speak. You know, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and verse number nine that heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If you're not careful, your heart can lead you astray in a hurry. You start to, feel a little unsettled and maybe that's God at work but maybe it's not maybe that's your heart that's sort of 
causing you to kind of wander just a little bit and to look afar off. And maybe, maybe just maybe we ought to say, you know, I'm done trusting my heart. I'm done allowing my heart to lead. I'm going to allow God to shape my thinking about this particular decision or matter at hand. Jacob's heart, prior to God speaking, and prior to God shaping his thinking, was filled with fear and anxiety until, until he heard a message from God. God's word to Jacob was clear, wasn't it? And it was full of assurance. And here's what I would say. I would say don't move. Don't do anything until you know for sure God is saying this is the direction I want you to go. So often we, we, we make decisions too soon, too quickly, too rashly. And God hasn't had, we have not given God a full opportunity to speak into the matter at hand. Jacob, I really believe this. I believe Jacob got to Beersheba. And I believe Jacob, if God would have spoken to him at Beersheba and said, turn around and go back to Canaan, I believe he would have. I believe, God, I believe Jacob longed for God's approval and God's blessing and God's will more than he longed even to be with his son. I think that was the heart of Jacob. When God spoke into this matter and God transformed Jacob's thinking on it, Jacob was very quick to continue heading south. We might call this today God's peace. God gives peace to us in the midst of life-altering decisions. We may not have all the answers. We may not be able to see how it's all going to work out, but if we have been assured by God that this is the step we ought to take, then to not do so would be wrong. I've said this before. But I got married on this platform a little bit over 23 years ago. And uh, on that day, August the 5th of 2000, I stood right over in that little corner. My dad was the pastor at that time, and so he was marrying me. And, um, and so we were standing off to the side, and I don't remember who it was, but one of my groomsmen looked at me. I mean, literally, we're 30 seconds before the They probably should have asked this question a little sooner, but they, they waited until about 30 seconds before we went up, and they said, Pete, are you nervous? And I think what they were saying is like, are you sure? Like, you got 30 seconds, man. That door, are you sure? <laughs> that door is right there if you want to get. And I remember I looked at him, and I, and I remember thinking this. I had this thought. I didn't verbalize all of this, but, but in my mind I was thinking, man, I, I am sort of nervous to go up there and stand in front of all those people. Like, what if I, what if I say the wrong thing? To, what if I trip over the carpet? What if I do something that, you know, nobody ever forgets? Remember so-and-so's wedding? What if I become that guy? I was nervous about that, but listen, I was not nervous at all about the woman that I was going to marry. Listen, there were a lot of uncertainties. I was 21 years old at that point in time. I was young. I still had a semester of college left. And there were a lot of uncertainties. I, I, I was working a couple part-time jobs down at college, and, and I, I was making, we were making enough just to, just to get by. There were lots of questions about how all this was going to work out. But here, here's, here's one thing I knew. I knew, I knew that God had chosen that woman for me. I wasn't nervous about that. You know what that is? It's called God's peace. I may, I may not know how it's all going to work out. I may not know how it's all going to play out, but I knew for sure that this was what God was leading me to do. And I would just say this, listen, until you have that kind of certainty, until you have that kind of confidence, you better stand still and wait on the Lord. I say number three, you consider life-altering, life-transforming decision. Number three, look for opportunities to fulfill your God-given dream. In other words, is this decision I'm getting ready to make, is it, going to be, is it going to be able to enable me to fulfill the God-given dreams that God has put in my heart? I'm not talking about things that you've put in your heart, but things that God has put in your heart. 
verse number three, God came to Jacob in the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here am I. And look what he says in, in verse number, I'm sorry, verse, that's verse number two, verse number three. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go into Egypt, for I will there, this is key, I will there make of thee a great nation. But God had chosen Jacob's family, and God had promised them some, some things a long, long time ago before Jacob was ever born. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, and God had promised to make of Abraham's seed a great nation in Genesis 12 and verse number 2. He also promised, listen, he also promised to give Abraham a land in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 1. And by the way, he came to Jacob and he reaffirmed that promise to him. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis 28, 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. So, so, so Jacob, is, Jacob is carrying, listen, he is carrying these God-given dreams with him throughout his life. And he understands, there's a, there's a few things he understands. He understands, number one, that, that God has chosen my family and, and he's going to make a great nation out of us. Now, Jacob just saw the beginning of that. Jacob had 12 sons. The Bible says here, if we were to read a little bit further in this text, we would find that Jacob goes down into Egypt and there are 66 with him, not counting his daughters-in-law. 66 of his sons and of their sons and his daughter and of his son's daughters. There, there's 66 of them that are going down into Egypt together. Waiting for them in Egypt are three more, Jake, Joseph and his two boys. So you add them all together. Jacob is traveling. There's 66 of them, one of him. There's three waiting for him down in Egypt. There's 70 total. That's not really a nation, right? It's a family. It's a, it's a, it's a good-sized family, certainly. I don't know any of us have a family of 70 by the time we get to our grandchildren. That's pretty significant, but it's not a nation, but listen, God comes to him and God says, don't, don't be afraid to go on in Egypt. He says, because here's what I'm gonna do. In Egypt, I'm gonna, make, I'm gonna make of you a great nation. Listen, Jacob couldn't see it. Jacob couldn't see it, but 400 years in Egypt, and, and, and we can only estimate, we don't know for sure, but we can only estimate that as they leave Egypt 400 and some years later, there's, there's probably a million to two million of them. That's a, that's a nation. It's a small nation still, but that's a nation. Jacob, listen, Jacob is carrying these God-given dreams with him. Jacob is waiting, listen, he's waiting to hear from God. God, if, 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 you're not gonna, if you're not gonna fulfill this promise down there, then there's no use in us going down there. You understand, you understand that, that this is what he's dealing with. And, 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 then he's, and then he's carrying this God-given dream of a land. You see, long ago, many years ago, before he ever met his wives, he, he had laid down one night. He made a rock his pillow, and God had showed him a vision, a dream, a ladder that descended uh, from heaven down to earth, and, and angels ascending and descending on that ladder. And God stood above it. We just read the text. And God said, this land where you're sleeping on, I'm going to give it to you. And so Jacob, he's carrying this God-given dream with him, and he says, he, he's essentially saying, God, if the land, if, if, if by mo moving to Egypt, we lose out on the land, then we don't want to move to Egypt. Because this is a dream that you've put in my heart. This is your will that you have, have already established within me. I know this is what you've called us to do. So if this doesn't move the needle, as it were, closer to that goal, there's no use in us even going there. Do you, do you understand that this is, so what has God put in your heart to do? 
What has he clearly revealed? This is, this is what I have for you. I'm not talking about what you've put in your heart to do. I'm talking about what God has put in your heart to do. Now, here's, here's the cool thing. Look, at, look in verse, um, verse, number, verse number four. And here it is. He says, I will surely bring you up. I'm, you're not going to stay there forever. I'm going to bring you back up, and I'm going to put you back in that land. And that's how Jacob says, okay, this must be God's will, because we haven't forgotten about him making us a great nation. God's going to do that in Egypt. We haven't forgotten about the land. God's going to bring us up out of Egypt and bring us back to the land of Canaan. And look, I just think this is so cool. Look what he says. And, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. God had never come, as far as I could tell, God had never come to Jacob and said, hey, Jacob, hold on a little bit longer. It's okay. You're going to see your son again. No, I, I think that I think that might have been that might have been a dream that, that maybe Jacob had just dreamt on his own. Some of you, some of you lost lost your loved ones, and perhaps maybe you've had dreams like this. You're dreaming and it's it's as if they're there. And then you wake up and you realize it was just a dream. Maybe Jacob had had some of those. He had almost longed, Lord, I just I just wish that could be true. But God, God hadn't promised him that that was going to happen. As far as Jacob was concerned, Joseph was dead and gone and had been for more than 20 years. And yet God came, God came to Jacob and God said, listen, I am going to fulfill, by making this move, I'm gonna fulfill those God-given dreams, those things that I've put in your heart and the heart of your family. I'm gonna fulfill those things. Oh, and guess what? I'm gonna do something else. I'm gonna fulfill a dream that I didn't put in your heart, but a dream that every parent would have who's lost a, who's lost a child. And in that place, not only am I going to make of you a great nation, and not only am I going to be with you, and not only am I going to visit you and bring you back up out of that place at some point in the future, but there, there your son will take his hand and he'll place it upon your face. You'll see your son again. You'll touch your son again. You'll hug your son again. And I just have to think, when Jacob heard all of that, he said, hey, listen, let's go. Let's go. Because it's in that place. It's in that place. It's in that decision that God was going to continue to fulfill the dreams that he had given to Jacob. Can I, say, can I say, number four, see evidence of God's divine power and favor. Would you look in verse number five, and Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. Jacob's journey from Canaan to Egypt was made a lot more tolerable by the wagons that had been furnished to him by Pharaoh. Can I just be real frank with you? We, we, live in, we live in a house not far from here. It's about four miles from here. We love it. We love it. But there's a few things. There's a few things that we would, we would, we would, we would love to have that we don't have in that house. And, um, you know, we've never seriously contemplated moving. And can I just be real honest? One of the reasons why we've never seriously, one of the reasons, there's others, but one of the reasons why is because I just don't want to move again. Like some of you have done, I, some of you guys move every like few years. I don't know how you do it, man. That is just, <laughs> unless you have to, right? That's just awful. Moving is the worst. You know, when I first became on the pastoral staff, they didn't teach us in Bible college that one of the ministries of a pastor is you also have to have like a moving company on the side as well, you know, and we would help people move. And, and I thought to myself, you know, man, I, I don't remember taking this college or this class in Bible college, but, but I'm honestly... And, I, you know, if somebody came to me, if somebody came to me and they say, hey, listen, you can have all of the things that you want in this house over here, I would probably have to think for a minute, like, man, I'd like that, but I, is it really worth it? I'd have to sort of weigh it out, right? Because then I've got to start thinking about packing everything up and getting a move, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And, and uh, I know, I know you're just, he's, he's, he's lazy and he's crazy, I guess, you know. But, but if somebody came to me and they said, hey, listen, you can have all the things you want in this house and and we're going to do all the moving for you. I'm, okay, let's go, right? 
I mean, as long as it's, you know, as long as it's within the budget. And, and so here's, here's what, really what happened. Jacob, they come to him and they say, hey, it's time to move. And I'm sure Jacob's like, man, I got all these tents and I got all these cattle and I got all these servants and all these people. Hey, no worries. Look at all these wagons. <laughs> Load everything in the wagons. Your boys can do it. And you sit in the wagon and you can ride all the way down to Egypt. And Jacob's like, okay, right? I mean, that sort of, that, that sort of provided some level. Of, in other words, he could see evidence of God's divine power and favor. He could look at this and say, how do I know this is the right thing to do? And we've already checked off several of these boxes, but then he could look at these wagons and he could see, man, this trip, this trip that would have been completely intolerable on my own is made a whole lot more tolerable by seeing the fact that my son is sitting in Egypt and he is a ruler and he is a leader there. You know, sometimes we're looking for a change in life because our lives are absent of fruitfulness. Many approach life-altering decisions with a clear bias that anything must be better than when they, where they currently are. We use this phrase sometimes. They assume the grass will be greener than where they are currently. And I just want you to understand, Jacob wasn't looking to leave at this stage of his life. He was pretty content where he was. Life had brought some bitter and difficult circumstances, but Jacob was determined to stay where he was because he believed that was the place God had planted him until until he could see evidence of God's divine power and favor in leading him in this direction. Number five, lastly, can I say, make sure, make sure whatever decision is you can bring your family with you. Make sure you can bring your family with you. Would you look in verses six and seven, and they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten, Jacob and all his seed at the end of that verse, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his son's sons with him, his daughters and his son's daughters and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. Are you contemplating a major life-altering decision today? It very well may be that someone in this room is considering a significant change of direction. Can I encourage you to learn from Jacob and what God taught Jacob? This major change came to his life in his later years. He did not go to Egypt before he had heard clearly from God. And how did he hear clearly from God? He went to the place that God was known to communicate. He did not go to Egypt until he heard from the Lord that this was a place that he was leading him. He didn't have to be afraid. This decision was blessed in the will of God because it allowed for opportunities to fulfill the dreams that God had put into Jacob's heart in his life. There was clear, listen, there was clear evidence of God's divine favor and power and it was a place, listen, it was a place down there in Egypt where all of his family could be taken care of and accommodated. To every man there openeth a way and ways and a way. And some men climb the highway and some men grope below. And in between on the misty flats the rest drift to and fro. And to every man there openeth a highway and a low. And every man decideth which way his soul shall go. Can I remind you the greatest decision, the greatest not just life-altering, but eternal life-altering decision that anybody could make is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Oh, that's, that's, that's soul care there for you. Jesus will take your soul and he will care for it for the rest of your life and he'll provide an eternal home for it. Oh, there's no greater decision that you could make and yet, and yet some of you have made that decision and yet you're still faced with another life-altering, life-transforming decision. Can I encourage you to learn from Jacob and the steps that are laid out for us here? 
And may God help us as we contemplate future choices and decisions. Understanding, listen, some of those decisions, some of those choices will impact people that we'll never meet. May God help us. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.